This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So we want to welcome all our people that joined us live. That's that's the first and foremost. We have to we have to we have to uh, um, uh, uh, welcome and uh, something that I mentioned last week. I do appreciate everyone that does join us live for the for the live Zoom. Again, everyone is invited uh, for this Zoom class that that hopefully will happen every single Wednesday night at nine p.m. Everyone is invited. Anybody wants to have any uh, information on this can join our WhatsApp group or can email me at Rabbi Zitron at TorahAnytime.com to join the. Uh, uh, you know, the group. And oh, so the reason why I'm very, very thankful and grateful for all the people that join us live is because of a deficiency that I have. And that is that I have a very hard time speaking to just the camera. There are many big rabbis that are many, any rabbis that are able to just give a class just on, I need to speak to people, even though it's just names on a on a zoom call it still does something for me it gives me the ability to be able to uh you know present something and and it, the truth of the matter is is that i know that things come out differently when you speak to a live crowd when you speak to a crowd even even though there's a huge difference between zoom and actually live in person but at least we have uh the zoom option so everybody that does join us just just know that you do have part of the schuss of every person that listens to this class uh you know, moving forward because it's because of you that, uh, you know, this was able to happen and it's because of you that this will be good or bad. Uh, I guess, uh, let me put an all on you. <laughs> Might as well, right? If it comes out bad, uh, it's not me. It's the people that join. But the truth of the matter is I really do appreciate it and I thank everyone for joining. And thank you all for all our Torah Anytime uh, listeners, subscribers, joiners that, that listen after the fact as well. So tonight, 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 we're learning L'Refuash Lema to Chava Bas Chaya Esther and Leilu Nishmat Rabbi Avram Ben Chaim Yehuda and Yecheskel Ben Rabbi Avram. So I, I think this is a such a crazy important topic. Uh, and, and the truth of the matter is, is that it really deserves a mini-series in itself. Uh, but we will, you know, try to present everything in one class. And then maybe at a future date, maybe we'll, we'll branch it off to go into more into depth and to present this into a, a little bit of a series. So the idea behind of what we do, why we do, kind of why the way that we are, if I can say that. The, you know, the title is, are you religious because you want to or because you have to? Now, the truth of the matter is, is that there's really three, and my wife actually, uh, you know, uh, brought this up. There's really three categories. It's not just, you know, do you want to be from, do you want to be religious or do you have to be religious? But there's a third one. And that is, are you born religious? And that's why you weigh that you, the way that you are is because that's the way that you are brought up. So really there's three categories we could, we could put ourselves in. That one of them, the best one is we want to, we want to be where we are. We want to be religious. We want to be from, we want to serve a Kaddish Baruch. We want to serve God. There's number two. We have to. What, what do we have to? We fear the punishment or maybe we want the reward and we're doing it because we want the reward, but we have a reason that's pushing us to do it rather than just the wanting to do it. And the third category is we're born to it. You know, like this is what our parents taught us. This is how we were raised. And we do, do it just because, you know, like this is what we're supposed to uh, do based off our education and our upbringing. So when we look at these three categories, really, if we break it down, most people are 
partially in each category. Meaning so that you can have somebody that davens because they pray because they have to. They keep Shabbos because they want to. Shabbos is amazing, right? Who doesn't want to disconnect? We're so connected to the technological world. We're so connected to nothingness of busyness that it's a little bit of an enjoyment to be like, okay, you know, like, let me disconnect from this, uh, you know, from this bilbul, this, this, uh, uh, this, this craziness of a world. And then there is a third category that, you know, like, uh, you know, we say brachas. Why do we say brachas? Because we were taught since we we're a little kid. Say a shahakal, say a Zionists, say a bracha. We have to bench now. Let's go sing the song, and we'll all be bench together. And so we do things in these three different categories. And many of us have different buckets where we place our category. Like some people will have something that they want to do in, in, in Judaism and Yiddishkeit. Other people will do something because they have to do it and they don't really want to do it if they had the choice. And other people will, you know, and a third category will be people do something because this is what they were taught as a kid. It's neither a want or a, a, a must. It's just like this is what they're doing. So the question that we have to first bring up and really answer is what does this have to do with Asarasi Mechuba? What does this have to do with Yom Kippur? And really this has everything to do with Yom Kippur, everything to do with Asarasi Mechuba. We know that there is two types of chuba. Chuba is repentance. There's two types of repentance that one can do. One can do repentance out of love and one can do repentance out of fear. What is the difference if you're doing repentance? What is the difference if you're doing it out of love or you're doing it out of, out of fear? So the Gemara in Yuma, page 86b tells us that Rish Lakish says that there's two aspects of this. If someone, ret- of, of chuba that is, if someone returns to HaKadosh Baruch if someone does repentance out of fear, then what happens to their sins? Their sins are converted from sins to involuntary acts. Meaning if they decided that they were going to do a sin on purpose, it turned to involuntary, meaning that it reduced the level. And if someone does chuba repentance out of love, what happens is, is that it transforms their mitzvah, that their sin that they did into a mitzvah. Meaning that if somebody went and did a sin of, let's say, eating non-kosher, and then they did tshuva out of love, what happens is, is that sin now converts and transforms into a mitzvah. Meaning that if somebody ate pork, ate pig, and they did this on purpose, they did this because they wanted it was tasty, and then they did tshuva out of love, in their in their in their book in heaven, in their movie scene in heaven, that part is cut out, and inside is replaced that they ate something like a sudas mitzvah for I don't know somebody who finished the the entire shas, you know, the entire uh, the entire gemara. They 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 transformed the sin into a positive mitzvah. So we see over here that if you do tshuva out of love, it is a much, 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 much times infinity higher level than if you do tshuva out of fear. Now, what is the difference between tshuva out of love, tshuva out of fear? So one aspect we want to say, we want to bring out tonight, that if you do something because you have to do it, you're not doing it out of love, right? If you're doing it because you have to do it, you're doing it because of the, let's say, the fear of the consequences or maybe the what you want to gain from it, but it's not coming from true essence, from true love. If you're doing something for for love, you're doing something for, for an, an, an unadulterated reason. You're just doing it because you want to do it, because you love the other side of what effect it's going to have. So when somebody does something, if it's out of love, 
What in essence it means is that you're doing it because you want to do it, not because you have to do it. When you do tshuva out of fear, that's really tshuva out of because I just have to do tshuva. I don't want to get punished for it. But when you do tshuva out of love, you're doing tshuva because no, I, I want to do it. Like I can't believe I messed up. I can't believe that I went against my God. I can't believe I went against my Avinu Shabbat my Father in Heaven. Of course I want to do tshuva. So it's a difference of the want and the need is the love or the fear. That's one aspect. The second aspect is that when you want to do something versus when you have to do something, it, 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 it shows in how you do it. If you want to do something, you do it with joy. You do it with happiness because you want to do something. If your mother tells you, go buy me something from the supermarket. And be like, fine, okay, I'll go, you know, only because you told me to do so, and I want to have supper tonight, and I want to listen to you, and you know, like, so when you're doing something, you're not doing it because you want to do it, you're doing it because you have to do it, whether it is because, uh, you know, the Torah says that you have to honor your parents, or whether it's because you're afraid of the consequences if you start arguing, you do it because you have to do it. But if you want to do it, be like, of course, I would love to do it for you. And you run and you do it. The difference in you traveling to the supermarket and shopping is going to be so much different in just the physical manifestation of it. Meaning that if you do it because you have to do it, you'll be like, okay, fine, I'll do it. If you do it because you want to do it, you'll be happy. You'll be skipping. You'll be enjoying the doing part of the, the doing aspect of it. So when we do something because we have to do something. We do it with less zeal, less happiness, less joy. When you do something because you want to do something, that brings tremendous amount of happiness to it. Now, why is happiness so important? The, there's a passage in, in Parshaski Sabai, uh, chapter, this is in Devarim, chapter 28, verse 47. That the passage says, mm-hmm. There's a slew, a, a long list of curses, 98 curses in Parshish Kisavai. And the Torah says, who does this fall upon? Somebody who doesn't serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu out of happiness, out of love, out, out, out of this joy. Now, we see that there is a very, very big, important aspect when you do mitzvahs, when you do something for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to do it out of happiness and do it out of joy, as opposed to doing it out of like, okay, fine, I'll do it. So, what we said... Just to understand where we're com- where we're going to, is that if you do something because you want to, you're doing something because, oh, okay, let me do it. If you're doing something because you, I'm sorry, if you do something because you have to, you're doing it because, oh, okay, I want to. I need to. Ugh, ah, words too fast. I have so much to speak about tonight. I'm sorry, guys. I need to go so fast. So let's just be clear. And by let's, I'm talking to myself. If you're doing something because you have to, you don't do it out of joy and out of happiness. If you do something because you want to, you do it out of joy and out of happiness. Why is joy and happiness so important? The Torah tells us that if you don't serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu out of joy and happiness, there's a long list of curses. So what we have to figure out and understand, and the goal is tonight, is how do we transform, how do we switch doing things because we have to, to doing things because we want to. And by doing that, we're going to be doing things because we need to, and uh, let's do it, to doing things because we love it. And who doesn't want to live life loving what they do? Of course, any, everybody wants to love what they do. So this is why it's so imperative, so important. The Chavos Alvavos, to tell you even a greater, just to, to add a cherry to the top of this, in, the, in, in his introduction to Shabbos Hashem. So the Chavos Alvavos brings down, Chavos Alvavos, the, the, the duties of the heart, 
uh, is a safer that's widely it, it, I, I can't even begin to 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 state its stature in the Jewish Musar world. The practically everybody who speaks anything about Amuna takes it mostly from the Chovos Olavos. Shara B'Tachon. So, and the Chovos Olavos has 10 chapters where it goes to how to go and, 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 and transform the duties of your heart to the right, uh, to, to the right angle of, uh, of serving a Kaddish Baruch And the Chovos Olavos says in the final chapter, in the 10th chapter, which is Avas Hashem, love of God. And he goes on and explains in the introduction that the, all the steps that I spoke until now is all is all leading to this point, meaning the whole purpose of everything that I spoke about, that everything that I've been trying to train to you is to serve Hakadosh Baruch Hu out of love. That's how important it is. And to add even a cherry upon the cherry, there are six constant mitzvahs. Just to show you how important this topic is, there are six constant mitzvahs, meaning mitzvahs that you could always do. And they are as follows. Number one is Anochi Hashem. They believe that there is a God. Number two is Layiyah. There will be no other gods other than the one God, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Number three is Yichud Hashem. Yichud Hashem means the unity. There's only one God. Number four is Ahavas Hashem, love of God, which is where we're going to focus on today. Number five is Yeras Hashem, fear and awe of Hashem, of God. And number six is Lo Sasru, do not stray following your desires. These are the six mitzvahs that you can constantly accomplish. Again, a series in itself. We're not going to go too much into it, but an, an important aspect to mention. So what we're going to try to uncover tonight is that you want to know how you change from... I have to be religious to I want to be religious is going into that fourth aspect, fourth mitzvah of the constant of the six constant mitzvahs, and that is Avas Hashem, loving of God, and that is going to be the focus that we're going to speak about tonight. Bezrat Hashem with Hashem's help. That is how do we change our avotas Hashem, our service of God to the love of God. So the Pasuk in Devarim, chapter 6, verse 5, tells us that a very famous Pasuk that we say every day, multiple times a day, You have to love your God. You have to love HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now the question that many Mepharshim ask, it, many, many commentators ask, how, what do you mean? How can you command me an emotion? Love is an emotion. You could command me to do. You could even command me to think a certain way, because I. But command an emotion of love—that's you know on a whole different level. So, when we look at the word love, what is the definition of uh, the word love? There's a famous uh, uh, um, you know explanation of this, and that is we spoke about this many times. That if someone says, let's say, I love fish. Let's say you have a guy that travels, that's uh, that's traveling, and he hears there's one guy in a certain city that he loves fish like nobody else. And this guy goes and he's traveling. He says, you know what? Let me let me visit the guy that loves fish. You know, I figure if I'm going to go to him, I'm going to see a huge aquarium. He's probably going to have these beautiful reefs for all these fish that they would be able to thrive in their environment. In fact, he probably lives in a reef and it's in glass encounter because he just loves fish. And he figured that everything that this guy does, does for the fish because after all, he loves fish. And this guy goes to visit this guy who loves fish. And he sees, he takes this bass, he bangs it over the head, he cuts up the bass, and he serves a whole feast of bass to his friends. And the guy's like, this guy doesn't love fish. What is this guy's murdering the people that he loves? This guy's murdering the things that he loves the most. And rather, what was the conclusion that this guest, that this traveler made, is that this guy doesn't love fish. This guy loves himself. <laughs> 
He loves the way that fish makes him feel. That's the way. So when we say that we love someone or we love something, there is two ways that we can look at it. What does that mean that we love something? Either we love that way that the other person or the other thing makes me feel, meaning that I really love myself and I love the way that you make me feel. Or we love someone else unconditionally, regardless of what other the person what, what the person brings to the table, and this is what the Mishnah in uh, in Avos uh, you know tells us uh, regarding the you know what's what's Avos and it's a little bit of things uh, love that is not contingent on something versus love is that that it is contingent on something, uh, which we're not going to get into at this point in time. But the idea is that there's two kinds of love. There is love that's conditional, meaning. At the end of the day, I love the way that you make me feel. Meaning, so if someone's in a relationship and the reason why they feel in love is because they love the way the other person makes them feel, then it's a normal thing that they go and they say, I feel out of love. And this is a very secular idea where people go and unfortunately they get divorced. Why? Because I once loved this, my spouse, but now I no longer love my spouse. I fell out of love and now, you know, it's time to part ways. Where does this stem from? Meaning that the love that you have for your spouse 90% of the time was all based on something. The second or the minute or the hour or the day or the year that your spouse stopped providing you with that good feeling that you made yourself feel, you're not in love anymore. But if you love someone unconditionally, then that means is that no matter what that other person does, you will always love them. An example is this is a parent to a child. Of course, we want our children to go in our ways. Of course, we want our children to follow our footsteps and, and to, you know, go even greater ways than us, especially in the spiritual growth. But if some child unfortunately goes other the way, if it's an unconditional love, you'll love the child no matter what. So the difference between these two loves is a very, very important aspect when we're looking in Avodah Hashem and Avodah Hashem. There is love that is dependent on something, and there is love that is not dependent on something. So, I can't believe what time it is. We didn't even begin the introduction yet. This is just the intro to the introduction. So let me explain to you what the plan is for tonight. You have to bear with me because I really want to want to plow through this entire uh, you know subject in one uh, you know in one sitting, and. The way that I want to present, so so we know that we need to love Akedus Baruch We know we need to love the Torah. We need to love it. But how are we going to get there? I want to give you four ways, Bezat Hashem, to be able to go and acquire this. The way that we're going to do it is we're going to give a brief overview on these four ways. Then we're going to ask a question on these four ways, and then we're going to go into depth on these four ways. So stay with me on this on this journey. Step number one, and this is based off. Partially off Rabbi Yitzchak uh, Berkowitz. So, so part, uh, number one. Number one, how do you get closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? How do you get the love of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the love of God? Is you study nature. And this is based off the Rambam, Maimonides, in Hilchas Yisadei Atayra, in the second chapter. That when a person focuses on the wondrous acts and creation of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then they recognize the wisdom of God, and they immediately filled with this love and praise of God, and then what they want, well, they will want no, nothing other than the desire to know Hakadosh Baruch Hu. As the Pasuk Adelam tells, tells us, "Sama nafshi lelakim," I am thirsty for Hakadosh Baruch Hu. All I want is to know Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Rabbi Lazar Shach, Rabbi Lazar Menachem Man Shach, used to focus a, a lot, like like the beauty, for example, of an orange. 
how beautifully geometric, how purple of, of, of a circle it is. It's so beautiful. It is. You have so many, so many gedolim that they focused on the pleasures and the beauties of nature. The famous story, I say this so often, uh, that Rabbi Victor Miller was one time, his, his head was in a sink full of water. And his grandson came in and he saw his grandfather, a big rabbi, one of the biggest rabbis of the generation, head in the sink of water. All of a sudden he gets out and he takes a deep breath of air. And the grandson says, you know, what's going on? Why is your head in water? And Rabbi Victor Miller said, you know, like I was walking. And he walked, he used to walk on Ocean Parkway. And, it, you know, somebody mentioned about the pollution. There's a lot of cars going on. There's a pollution. He said, maybe I'm not going to appreciate God's ear. So you know when you appreciate something, when you put yourself on, you deprive yourself of something, and all of a sudden you're able to have it, oh, how you appreciate it. If you ever try to see how long you could hold your breath, and you're sitting underwater, and you're holding your breath, and then when you take that first breath, oh, how do you appreciate ear? The first step is realizing the beauty of nature, the beauty of what HaKadosh Baruch Hu, what God created for us. You could show and you could begin to understand the love of God. The Ramchal explains in Derech Hashem that, you know what, the ultimate goodness, God is only about giving you the ultimate goodness, the greatest good and the greatest pleasure that we can get and experience and what God wants to give us is a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And how do you know how we get there? By focusing on God's wondrous, wondrous acts and wondrous creation. But we look, there's a, there's a, there's a wonderful, a beautiful question. There's a Pasuk in Tehillim, chapter 89, verse 3, that Oilam The Pasuk tells us that the world was created on chesed, on kindness. Meaning that God wants to just give. All God wants is just give. And that's based off the kindness that God, that God, that God has. And how does, what's that kindness that He wants to give? That, that relationship with the Almighty, the relationship with the infinite, there's nothing greater than that. And that's what, Akadish Baruch Hu only wants to give us that. But at the same point in time, there's a Mishnah in Pirkei Avos in the 6th chapter, 11th Mishnah. It says, Kol HaKadosh Baruch Hu created, God created everything only for His honor. And the question is very obvious. Wait a minute. The Pasuk says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created a world of chesed. The, the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos tells us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the whole, the whole world only for His honor. Was it for chesed or was it for his honor? It seems like two contradictory ideas. And the answer is it's really not contradictory because of what we're just discussing right now. You know how you are going to get to the greatest kindness, which is a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu? The way that you're going to create it is by looking at the entire world that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created for his, for, for his honor. What does that mean? That when you look into the world, you realize the greatness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And when you look and you realize the greatness of God, then you can begin to have a relationship with God. And once you can begin to have a relationship with God, that is the greatest chesed, that is the greatest kindness. So step number one is the looking into the nature of the world, into the greatness of what God created. Step number two is Hakara Satov, is gratitude. The Chobos Avavos explains how, how do you get to a point? You know, you, you have a point of when you do something because you need to do it, 
and you have a point where you do something because you want to do it. How do you get to that point? And the way that the Chavos Avavos explains it, it's known as Ha'aras Haseichel, meaning this is something that I want I want to do because of my intellectual understanding. I came to the point that I want to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not because I need to, but because I want to. Not because I have to, but because I want to. So how, explains the Chavaz of how do you get to this point? You do it by, by looking at the Chaz de Hashem, looking at all that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given, basically, otherwise known as, aka gratitude, HaKar Satov. And this is what the foundation of being a Jew, of being a Yehudi, of being a Jew, where we're known as Yehudim. Why? Because we're known after Shevet Yehuda. Why? We said this many times, we gave 10 classes on gratitude, which I strongly recommend everyone to go and, 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 and listen to understand how grateful we have to be. What is the gratitude? What is the aspect of why we're named Yehudim? Because Leah, when she named Shevet Yehuda, she says, Hapam Oda Es Hashem. Now I'm going to be grateful for Akadish Barucho. She did a simple calculation. There's four wives. There's supposed to be 12 tribes. Each wife is supposed to get three. Ah, Yehuda was the fourth child. She says, Oh, I got something extra which is the key word which we'll soon see on gratitude. I got something that I don't deserve. I got something extra. Now I'm going to be grateful to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're known as Yehudim. We're known as Jews. You want to know why? Because that is what our aspect, that is what our foundation is. That we have to be grateful to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We have to always feel like we're getting extra. When you feel you're getting extra, that's when you're going to feel grateful. If you feel you deserve something, why am I going to be grateful? It was their job. They needed to do that. The second, the moment that you feel that you're getting above and beyond, that's when you have the gratitude. And when you have more gratitude... There's no question that when you do something because you're grateful, you're doing it with so much more joy, so much more Ahavas Hashem. That is number two. Number three is studying Torah. The Pasuk that tells us that we have to love HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we have to ask Hashem Alekecha, tells us in Devarim chapter 6 verse 5, the next Pasuk, the next verse in chapter 6 verse 6, tells us, It's telling us you want to know how to get to that point? Very simply, study Torah, put it upon your heart. That's how you're going to get the love and the joy of serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu, serving God. That is number three. And finally, number four, the Ramban, Nachmanides, tells us, in uh, based off, uh, this is from a Pasuk in Shemais, chapter five, 20, verse 5, that is uh, based off the Mesiris Nefesh, the 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 giving up, the suffering, so to speak, that, that you have for God. And he quotes this Medrash. And the Medrash brings, records this, this hypothetical conversation. And that is where, you know, it, it is asked, why are the Jews sacrificing for HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Why are you being executed? And that response is, because I circumcised my son. The Medrash goes on, why are you being burned at the stake? Because I study Torah. Why are you being hung? Because I eat matzah. Why are you being whipped? Because I shook a lulav. According to the Ramban, Nachmanides, our love for God is strengthened and increased when we suffer for Him. When we give up our physical sacrifices, that increases our love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the truth is, this is really for everything. When we sacrifice for somebody else, when we give over something else, when it's someone difficult, we, we, we fester a bond of love. Now, when we look at these four things, these are the four things that we gave. This is the introduction, right? So we're, we just, we just um, pretty much got to the introduction. And now, when we look at these four things on 
serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu out of love is by looking at nature, by having the gratitude, by studying Torah, by suffering. So that would mean that the more you know about nature, the more that you study the world, you study science, the more you love Hashem, right? So that means that every scientist, uh, you know, must love God passionately because this is what they are studying. Furthermore, you know, if you're, you know, if, if you're a grateful person, that gotta be that you're bursting with love of Akadish Barakul. Anybody that studies Torah then must be full of love of God. And of course, somebody that's, that suffered for Akadish Barakul should for sure have this, this love for Akadish Barakul. That is the introduction. Now let's ask questions on that. You want to say that everybody that's grateful has this bursting love for Akadosh Baruch Hu? There's so many people that are great people. They're very grateful to everybody around them, yet they don't even believe in Akadosh Baruch Hu. You have people that are suffering, and because they suffer, they must be close to God. Well, you just look at the Holocaust. How many people that they left the Holocaust that they didn't even believe in God after that, unfortunately? Uh, you look at, you know, Torah is the same thing. You, you, people spend their lives studying and focusing on Torah. They don't feel the love of HaKadosh Baruch Hu filling up their hearts. I love the best for last. Science, right? Because you got to believe uh, scientists, you know, because all they study is all science. They must be that they're bursting out of love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Right? So you must, but, but you look at scientists, they're, most of them, now I shouldn't say most of them because we'll soon see a study, uh, but many of them are declared atheists. They don't believe in God. And in fact, there, it's so, it's so crazy that in our times, the theory of evolution is so, you know, captivated by the scientific world that the, even if somebody goes and argues against them, they can't have a normal argument on, on, you know, with, with an evolutionist versus a creationist. You can't have a normal argument because the, someone who believes in evolution is such on a level of, it's a belief, it's a religion at this point. To, give, to, give, to prove my point, there was a case in the Texas, uh, there was a Texas school board that was threatened by university professors that if their students were taught to question the theory of evolution, they're not going to be accepted into the university. Meaning, first of all, we have to understand in the scientific world, a theory is not a proven fact. It's a theory of evolution. And you're supposed to question everything. A very famous scientific, you know, quote is that you have to question everything. But yet, when it comes to evolution, no, don't question it. I don't want to, I don't want to hear it. I don't, meaning that it's a, it's a religion. You believe in this religion of, you know, of, of evolution. And to tell you how much how ridiculous this went in the scientific world. You're talking about people that are geniuses in their field. Yet when it comes to certain things, they're blinded. And it's not only them, it's also us. We come into, we may be perfectionists and, and geniuses in certain area. In that same area, we may be blinded. When President Barack Obama announced on July 8th, 2009, that he wanted to nominate a renowned geneticist by the name of Francis Collins to be the new director of the National Institute of Health. There was a number of scientists that publicly questioned whether this nominee's, you know, he would be a good candidate. You want to know why they question it? Because he was religious. He was religious. That in itself should disqualify him for being the director of the National Institute of Health. Look at the, how Far we have fallen as a society where if somebody believes in God, that brings to question from the scientific world, is he fit to run as the director? Are you kidding me? 
Like, is it just so against God? Is this something that just makes any sense to anyone? There was a Pew Research that was done um, in May and June of 2009. Uh, you know, this this brought up a lot of questions, you know, like with scientists and the belief of God and like, why is it, that, you know, have a conflict? So there's a research that was done. And uh, the, the, they found that scientists, fifty uh, out of the research, uh, you know, population that it was on, fifty-one percent believed in a higher power. Now, what, when I say a higher power, there is two aspects. When, when in the secular world, what does it mean by a higher power? So there's a category that believes in God, and then there's a category that can't say the word God because it's nah, I just can't say God for whatever reason. Uh, which we know, but we're not going to go into that depth because we don't have the time for that. So they call it a universe or a universal spirit or a higher power. So there's two aspects. There's believing in God and there's belief of a higher power. So 51% of scientists believe in a higher power. 33% of that state that it's a God. 18% of that said it was a higher power because they can't say the word God because, uh, you know, whatever. We're not going to get into that. That's in the scientific world. In the non-scientific world, this is a number that actually shocked me, you know, in a good way. 95% of the non-scientists that were interviewed here were, do believe in some form of, some form of God or a higher power. 83% again believed in God, in, in God 12% said it was a higher power. But we see over here something very interesting. We said that if the more that you study nature, the more that you study science, the more that you study the world, you should have this you know, bursting, you know, of love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Look at the wisdom that God created the world. But we see over here, most of the people that study the world, which is scientists, do not believe in God. Or at least we could say half, a little bit less than half, of the people don't even believe in, uh, don't even believe in God. So forget about loving God. They don't even believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So we have to look at what's going on over here. We listed a bunch of Rishayim on how to go and produce love of Akadish Baruch and then we just refuted all those cases. So let's try to understand what we went, what went wrong over here and really how is it that through nature, through gratitude, through learning Torah, and through suffering, one can go and get closer to Akadish Baruch love Akadish Baruch and actually serve Akadish Baruch out of joy. So the Rosh Hashiva of Talsh went and once gave this famous example that, uh, you know, branched out to many other examples. And that is once there was once a man that went to visit a museum, the Louvre, in, uh, you know, in France. It's a world famous art museum. And this man went from one painting to the next and he looks at this magnificent painting that's priceless. And he looks at it, looks at it, and he says, this painting is priceless. This painting looks like yogurt. And he goes on to another priceless painting and he looks at it and he studies it and he's like, again, it just looks like yogurt. And he goes from painting to painting and he starts, you know, exclaiming out loud, all this is, is just looks like yogurt. One guy was following along and he was this art enthusiast and he was like, he's like, yogurt, these are priceless artifacts. These are priceless paintings. What are you talking about, yogurt? And he takes a look at this guy and he says, do me a favor, give me your glasses for a second. The guy takes off his glasses, hands it over to this art enthusiast. This art enthusiast looks up at the thing and sure enough, what does he see? His glasses is full of yogurt. And that's why every painting that he's looking on, all he sees is yogurt. So this man goes, cleans his glasses and he says, now look at the painting. When we look at what the Rishonim tell us and how to build love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, 
It's a foolproof plan. If you follow this, you will have Lafa Kadush Barhu. But the problem is, is that many of us do it with glasses that are filled with yogurt, and then all we see is just yogurt. And when our vision is blocked, when our vision is not clear, we can't see things clearly. It's as simple as that. And this is not only in religion, this is also in, in relationships. How many people are in relationships and they're doing everything right? They're speaking nicely, they're treating correctly, they're acting correctly, but yet there's no love in that relationship. The answer is there's something wrong over there that we have to look at it. Maybe there's resentment. There's something wrong with the glasses that we have to go and look into it. Meaning that as long as you're seeing things the right way, unbiasedly, you will get to the destination of loving God. But if you go and you see things biasedly, you will never reach that destination. On April 12th, 1961, there was a Russian astronaut by the name of Yuri Gagarin. And he was the first person to travel into space. He uh, traveled into space in something what's called a Vostok capsule. This is a single pilot crewed spacecraft. And he traveled. And when he came back, Nikita Khrushchev, the Soviet premier at that time, reported that Garyan, this Yuri guy, he went and he proved that there's no God. You want to know why? Because he went into outer space and he didn't see God in space. What, what, what was this spacecraft? This spacecraft was a one man, one man spacecraft that went into orbit, went into outer space for an hour and 48 minutes and then it went back down. Now it's obvious that this statement that there's no God because he went up into outer space was made with a very, very strong personal view in it. Why? We look at seven years later, American astronauts on the Apollo 8 mission, they uh, went and they traveled into space. At the end of their mission, three crew members recited the first 10 psukim, the first 10 verses of Beresh's, of Genesis, the story of creation. Take the matter a step further. In July 1969, there was U.S. astronauts by the name of Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin that they were the first humans to step foot on the moon. And the night before they landed, Aldrin went and he said, I'm personally, I'm reflecting on the past several days and a verse, a verse from Tehillim, a verse from Psalms comes into mind. This is chapter eight, verse four. And he quoted a Pasuk in Tehillim, this, this, uh, this astronaut. When I see your heaven, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, uh, you have established. That's what, that's what he quoted. So we have to ask, wait a minute. We had a Russian astronaut that went up to space. And said there's no God. Then we had twice, on two different occasions, American astronauts. And they quoted Sukkim and verses from the Torah. So what is it? Is traveling to outer space a proof that there is a God? Or is there traveling to outer space a proof that there is no God? And the answer is, is that it all depends on the person's prior mindset. It all depends at what lens they were looking at. If the key was a, an, an a atheistic viewpoint, then guess what? They're going to go up there and going to figure out a way to go and, and present in an atheistic way. If they had a religion aspect, they'll go and present it in a religion aspect. So what's the truth then? So if it all depends, what's the truth? And the answer is the key to everything is the open-mindedness that you have when you look at things. If we look at nature and we study Torah and we look at our suffering and we look at a gratitude to our Zakadish Baruch Hu, 
and we can't find the love of God into it, that all depends because we're not looking at it with the right lenses. And I'm not saying that you need to look at it from a religious aspect. If you look at it from an open-mindedness way of a non-biased way either way, you will come, 100%, you will come to the conclusion of loving HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Meaning that you're not only going to come to a conclusion that there is a God, you're going to come to a conclusion that there has to be a God and I love God. It all depends on your open-mindedness. What's the reason that we are afraid to do that? So it's very simple. The secular people, why do they don't want to say that there is a God? And even the ones that believe in a higher being, they can't say the word God. Because they have to say a higher being, a higher power, the universe. Why? Because if there's a God, then there's a purpose. And if there's a purpose, then I have an obligation. If I have an obligation, then I have to change the way of my life. And if I have to change the way of my life... I don't want to do that. I like doing things that way that I want to do. I don't want to have any restrictions in my life. I don't want to have have any things that are preventing me from doing what I want to do. So when people go and they prevent themselves from looking and seeing that there is God, it's because they're afraid. They're not doing it from an open mindset. If they would do it from an open mindset, it would be, it's very obvious that God exists. It's very obvious that Akadish Baruch Hu is there, but we per, per, trying to protect themselves or ourselves and saying, no, there must be, there's not, it doesn't exist and I can live my life the way that I have been living until now. And explains Rabbi Yitzhak Berkowitz that this is even for religious Jews. It's not just for the secular. Many of us, we're ready to focus on HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as long as it doesn't restrict us too much. And we make sure we don't focus on it too much because if we focus on it too much, we realize we have to restrict our lives. But if we allow ourselves to study this information in an intellectual level, in an honest level, in an open level, with our eyes not being blocked and our hearts not being blocked and us being able to honestly go and say, wait a minute, what is going on over here? Then with that open-mindedness, we'll see HaKadosh Baruch Hu and we'll see it with, with, with not only that there is a God, but we'll come to a conclusion of loving God. But we prevent ourselves because we're, we're nervous. We're nervous that we're going to have to stop doing something that we like. And we want to continue living our life, even if it's as religious. We still do things that maybe we shouldn't be doing. But once we remove that filter, that nervousness, that scaredness of it, then we'll see nature the way that it's meant to be seen we'll see torah the way that it's meant to be seen we'll see suffering the way that it's meant to be seen and then we'll be able to come to a conclusion of loving akadosh baruchu so now with that let's go and try to look into each aspect of what we discussed the four of the four aspects so when we look at nature when we look at science we know that any innovations, technology is booming, you know, and Baruch Hashem, it's making our lives easier and giving us tests at the same time, but it's really booming the, uh, our economy in, in, in a different level, our, our, our comfort, our luxuries in a different level. Anything that's created with science, this is all created with materials that HaKadosh Baruch Hu provided, that God provided. Human science cannot manufacture anything from ex nihilo. They cannot fa- manufacture anything that doesn't exist. We take what, what an invention is, is, is kind of scra- is playing word scrabble. You have all the letters in front of you and what words you can come up with that. We have the elements in front of us, what we can come up with the elements that we have. Meaning that everything, all the amazing things that science created, it was only created with what God has gave us to play with. 
Anything that God has not given us to play with, we cannot create. We cannot create something that's not already here. We could put ingredients together and make something, but we cannot create something that doesn't exist, that was never, the, the ingredients were never here. And when we start contemplating this, then every creation, whether it's scientific or natural, is a phenomenal and unbelievable creation. We look at, for example, look at, at, at a tree. Look at an orange tree. You look at, how did it come into being? When you look at a seed, there's no wood in the seed, but a tree is full of wood. All the branches, everything's full of wood. It's composed, the way that it grows is you take a seed, you put it in dirt, and there's water and sunlight. That's it. That's all you need. Water, sunlight, and dirt. Where's wood? It's not on the seed. It's not in the, in the, in the earth. It's not on the dirt. And it's not in the sunlight. And in fact, if you take a tree, uh, you take a seed, an orange, let's say an orange seed, you plant it, and you measure the amount of dirt that exists. And let's say it's uh, 500 pounds of dirt. And you come back 15 years later, and now it's a full-fledged orange tree. And you measure the amount of dirt. You know how much dirt is going to be there? 500 pounds. Wait a minute. So how did the tree... Where, the tree is now worth... Is now It's weighed at, at hundreds, if not thousands of pounds. Where did that come from? Was it the rain? Was it the sun? Was it the seed? None of it composed with, with anything with wood. How did it come, come, come into being? Furthermore, you look at... You know, most fruit, they start off green. And only later, they change colors. You look at it, even the vegetables, even a tomato starts off green. When it's ready, it changes into red. You look at an orange, it starts off green. And then when it's ready, it changes into this beautiful orange. You take an orange. It's a fascinating thing. When you look at an orange, you realize the peel. It's so amazing. You look at the texture of it, the thickness of it, and it varies on the different orange and how thick it's going to be. But you take a nice orange with a thick peel, it's, it's phenomenal how it's, how it's created. And then you open an orange and it's cut up into different, you could, you could slice it into different, uh, it's like you don't have to slice it, it's pre-sliced already. You just peel it. And then if you open the peel of the individually sliced orange, you'll see over, in each one has hundreds of droplets of orange juice that's each coated in itself with little it's, it's like I, I wish I could do this in a, in a visual aspect there's each orange peel has thousands each orange has thousands upon thousands of orange droplets and each droplet it's coated and then you have hundreds of droplets that's coated in another coat which is like the the the, the section of the orange you look at it who did all this like this special rapper, this all came from nothing. This all came from by mistake. There was, there, there was some, there's a genius behind this. So when we look at nature, we can begin to appreciate Akadish Barhu. When we begin to appreciate Akadish Barhu, we begin to have that love for Akadish Barhu. You know, we spoke about before of uh, Dr. Francis Collins. Uh, you know, when he, became, you know, understand, uh, let's call it more religious, uh, 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 a non-atheist, because he, he started off as an atheist. And it's very interesting. He was a part of a, of a, of an international group of researchers from October 1992, April 2003. For 13 years, there was a project called the Unim, the Human Genome Project or the HGP. This is one of the greatest scientific feats of history. The project was a biological discovery to study all the DNA, or otherwise known as a, a genome, of a select set of organisms. And they generate, they were able to, to, to generate the first sequence of the human, the human genome, meaning that they were able to 
come up with all the letters of all the the entire aspect of the DNA. And they determined that there is three billion letters of the human genome. That to you, if you could begin to understand how much information is in a human DNA, it that if you would just read the letters of what it is composed of, it would and nonstop, it would take you thirty-one years just to read the letters of what it comprised. Which means, is do you know how much information is in a DNA of a human being? We don't even begin to understand the the amazing invention of we us who we are. That we look at the world and you look at you start looking at even in grass or trees or clouds or sky, you look at how how genius everything is, you begin to have this awe and love for Akadish Barhu. Like all this was made. If you ever have gone and just look at the stars and you look at the vastness of it, look at the like the endlessness of it, you look at the the, the craziness of the creation. It didn't need to be all this crazy. It didn't need to be all this intense, all this, like, like the details. But Akadish Baruch Hu did it. You want to know why? Shakol Baral Akadish Baruch Hu did everything for his honor. What was the whole point for the honor? That we would be able to study it. And once we study it, we'd be able to go and realize the love of Akadish Baruch Hu. Because Olam Chesed Yibane was all created out of Chesed, all created out of love of Akadish Baruch Hu. And what is the greatest Chesed, says the Ramchal? That's the connection between us and Akadish Baruch Hu. That is the relationship that we have with God. And how do we get to that? So step one was what? Is looking through nature and looking with the right lenses, you're going to be an awe inspired and love with love of God. Let's look at step number two, and that is gratitude. There is a pasuk in Parshas Kisavoy that says that that if you don't serve Hakadosh Baruch Hu out of joy and out of happiness, that is going to cause you tremendous amount of suffering. Now this this pasuk is written in Parshas Kisavo. The beginning of Parshas Kisavo starts with with the Bikurim, Parshas Bikurim. Now I want to share with you something for Rabbi Fran, which will change your mind and how do you see how do you, how you see gratitude. Now the idea of Bikurim, of bringing the first fruit to the base of Mikdash, the way that it's brought, there is something. There is a specific text that you have to say when you bring this Bikurim, and that is called Mikra Bikurim. And the farmer, when he brings this this first fruit, he recites. He recites a piece of Jewish history, starting off with uh, Yaakov Avinu that he had to work for his uncle Lavan, who tried to kill him, and then they, you know, the descent to Egypt and the suffering they endured. And the narrative also includes the praise for Avakadosh Baruch Hu for taking us out of Egypt. Now the question that the Mepharshim asked, look, wait a minute. If we're giving over a piece of history, why are we starting with Yaakov Avinu? Let us start with Avram. Abraham. And then we'll move to Yitzhak. And then we'll go to Yaakov. What is significance we're starting with Yaakov? And why do we start with Yaakov and his encounter with Lavan? So the mitzvah of Bikurim is one of the most fundamental obligations of the Torah. And the al Sheikh explains this, that the world was created for three things. The three things that are called racious. And they are Yisrael, the Jewish nation, Torah, HaKadosh Baruch the Torah that HaKadosh Baruch gave us, and Bikurim. The first fruits that you have to give to bring to the, to the base of English. Now, we understand why the world was created for the Torah. We understand even why the world was created for the chosen nation, the Jewish nation. But Bikurim, why is this even added into the equation? And the answer is that Bikurim teaches us about gratitude. And gratitude is one of the fundamental reasons of why we're here. 
So now let's look at why is it that Yaakov Avinu is included in this aspect of gratitude when we bring the new fruits. When you look at gratitude, no one is more capable of experiencing and having real thanks for receiving something than someone who has previously had the opposite of that. Meaning that if someone has good health, you know who appreciates the most good health? People that were sick. If someone has a lot of money, you know who appreciates the most that the, 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 they're wealthy? The people that didn't have any money beforehand. The people that didn't know where their next meal is coming from, those are the people that appreciate it the most. Meaning that where you lack, that's where you could appreciate the greatest. The mitzvah of Bikurim is the Hakar Satov, the gratitude that we finally have a land, that we have our, our own. We were strangers, we were nomads, we were slaves for 400 years. And all of a sudden, we got the land of Eretz Israel. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us the land of Eretz Israel. You want to know who appreciates not having land and then having land? That's where we start with Yaakov Minu. Yaakov had to leave Eretz Israel. Yaakov had to leave Israel. He went into exile. He went to live with his uncle Lavan. He, Yaakov Avinu knows what it means to be a stranger. He knows what it means not to have a land of his own. He went to Yeshiva and then he went for many years and then he went to Lavan for many years and he kept on traveling and he didn't have a place of his own. You want to know who could appreciate having a place? The someone who doesn't, never had a place and that is Yaakov Avinu. And after Yaakov Avinu left, he had to go to Egypt. Again, didn't have a place of his own. Avram Avinu lived in Eretz Yisrael. Yitzhak Avinu never even left Eretz Yisrael. But Yaakov Avinu was the nomad. Yaakov Avinu was the wandering Jew. And that's why when we come to the mitzvah of Bikurim, of having our own land, and we're able to have our own fruit, that is why we bring up Yaakov Avinu. Because Yaakov Avinu did not have it. You want to know how you're going to appreciate it? You don't have to go through that suffering. But you look and you see what other people went through. And look at the blessings that you have. All of a sudden, you're able to appreciate it. Yaakov Avinu, he didn't have the ability to have his own land. We have our own land. Now we have to be thankful. And that's why when we give the mitzvah, when we bring the Bikurim, we have to mention Yaakov Vinu to show the greater appreciation that it's going to bring to ourselves. And when one brings bring this point beautifully, even further, when one brings the first fruit, when one brings the Bikurim, it's very interesting. The farmer has to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the Pasuk in Devarim, chapter 26, verse 11, says something very interesting. The Torah is telling this, this farmer, be happy with everything that God gave you. A farmer is coming after a successful crop and he's bringing it up to the base of Mikdash. He's bringing up his Bikurim. Of course he's going to be happy, says Reb Mordechai Gifter. So why does the Torah tell us that it says, v'samachta, be happy? V'samachta bechalata, of course I'm going to be happy. I just had a successful business deal. I'm not going to be happy. Why, asks Reb Gifter, does the Torah tell us that you have to be happy when you're bringing the mitzvah of Bikurim? And Reb Gifter answers, that a person could come up to Yushalayim with his bounty of Bikurim, with his new fruit, and he could start thinking to himself, it could have been better. I, you know, he looks at his neighbor, looks at his other people that are bringing, and be like, you know what, this guy has a lot juicier fruits. This guy has a lot more going for them. I could have do it, maybe it could have been better for me. So says Rav Gifter, you know what the Torah tells us? Be happy. Be happy with what you have because this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you. And if He gave it to you, this is what you need. And that's what the Torah tells us. You have to be happy with what you have. With that information, let us go look a little bit later in the partial, which is the Pasuk that we've said in Devarim chapter 28 verse 47. That is 
Because you didn't serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu out of happiness, there's going to be a lot of curses. How does the Pasuk end? Very interestingly, Mirav Kol explains our friend beautifully. Mirav Kol, what's these words Mirav Kol? It brings us to two other places where it mentions the word Rav and the word, word Kol. Asaph in Bereshus, in Genesis, chapter 33, verse 9 explains when he speaks about his blessing, he says, I have a lot. Right. Yaakov, when he responds in, in Bereshus, in Genesis chapter 33, verse 11, he says, kal. Esav says, I have a lot. Yaakov says, kal. I have everything. You know what the difference between Esav, who has a lot, plenty, and Yaakov, who has everything? And that is the way that they look at their lives. Esav says, I have a lot. I could have more. I would like to have more. And hence, he's never going to be happy because he has a lot, but he wants more. Yaakov says, I have everything. Everything that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given me is everything that I need to fill my mission. Yeshli call. I have everything that I need. And if I have everything that I need, then I'm going to be happy with what I have. Yaakov realized the mission in his life is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given him. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given him call. All our, everything that we have, everything that, whether it's our blessings, whether it's our sufferings, whether it's everything in between, it's because of this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us for our mission. Meaning that what we have is call is everything. Everything. everything that we have is the everything. And if we realize that our mission in life is to go and follow HaKadosh Baruch Hu and do everything with happiness, then we look at what we have and say, this is what I need and thank you, Hashem. And any time a person doesn't see that they have called, they will not be happy. Let's take that mindset and go to the third step, which is suffering. I apologize, we're going to go a little bit over tonight. The Ramban, Nachmanides, in his, in the Medrash that brings that suffering is going to cause us to love HaKadosh Baruch Hu. How does suffering going to bring us to love HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Because if we go and we have to, we look at the suffering that God gives us and we say, wait a minute, if God is a call, is Olam Chesed Yibana, if God is everything is all about Chesed, and if HaKadosh Baruch Hu only wants to give us the greatest thing possible, and that is a call Baruch everything was created for my honor, and that is to get to know me, the relationship between me and, and, and the people, that is the greatest love, that is the greatest pleasure that a person can have. And if this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu created, then what's the point of suffering? Rather, the point of suffering is that there's, there's a, a aspect, an angle that I have to fix. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sending us a suffering as a reminder, fix this area because this is going to get you to the greatest pleasure possible. So the suffering is just a guidance to get you to the greatest pleasure possible. So if you look at suffering and be like, wait a minute, HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves me, who only wants to do chesed, is only doing this so I can get the greatest pleasure, of course you're going to be happy with the suffering. Again, we don't want to ask, we don't want a suffering. We tell HaKadosh Baruch Hu we don't want the suffering, but if HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends it to us, we have to realize there's a reason why he's sending it to us. There's a reason, and when we look into it, it's only for the best. Called Manda of it, top of it. Everything that Hakadosh Baruch created was only for the best. So when we look at, at at the difficulties in our life, and we realize that it's coming from a loving Father in heaven that all wants to do is just give us the blessing, then guess what? Then we look at it and we say, like, okay, this too must be the best. Why? I have to fix something. Maybe it's A. Maybe it's B. Maybe it's C. I don't know. Let us do an introspection. Let us look into our life. But the problem is. That we don't always look at this because we're afraid. We don't want to give up. We don't want to, you know, different reasons. Everyone has their own reasons why they're afraid to look at this because we look at everything in life with a biased lens, with a, a glasses filled with yogurt. But if we clean our lenses and we look at life 
unbiasedly, we'll see so much beauty. We will see so much love. We will be able to accomplish so much if we only look at it unbiasedly. When we look at the Torah and Parshas Kisavo, at the curses that is written in the Torah, because you didn't serve Akadish Baruch Hu out of joy, it begs to ask a bomb question, a huge question. Is there anywhere in the Torah that we find a mitzvah to be happy? There are songs that are written that is a mitzvah to be happy. But we look at the 613 commandments. Is there a mitzvah from the Torah to be happy? We see this. For example, do you have to be happy in your, uh, you know, on the Yom Tov, in the holidays? But we know this basic Gemara and Psachim that this means that you have to eat meat and drink wine. And that brings one to, you know, bring happiness. You know, nowhere is, is, is there an emotional requirement to be happy. So the question that we have to ask, wait a minute. If the whole idea of Avas Hashem, of loving HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is that we should serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu out of joy, out of happiness, why is there no commandment straight out that serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu out of happiness? Why is there not one of the 630 commandments that says you have to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu out of happiness? And the answer is, really the question is, is, is a mistaken logic. Because the whole purpose of Torah, the whole purpose of mitzvahs, meaning the whole, the foundation of everything, listen to carefully this, the foundation of everything is to bring us closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the way that we do that is to the only way to do that is when we serve God out of joy. And if we don't do that, then we're, we're losing the foundation of everything. Meaning, you want to know why there's that one mitzvah that says you have to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu and have had joy and out of happiness? Because that is foundation of all the mitzvahs. The foundation of everything is that you got to serve God out of love and out of happiness and out of joy. It's the foundation of every single mitzvah. It's like somebody who's trying to learn how to how to read. You have to start with the ABCs. If you don't know the ABCs, you're not going to be able to read. If you don't have the joy and the simcha, you're not going to be able to accomplish and achieve everything that you need to with the mitzvahs and with the Torah. And once you realize that everything in this world was created for, for us to come closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to build a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then any obstacle doesn't become an obstacle, but rather becomes an opportunity. And you can begin to develop a clarity in the purpose of why we're in this world. And once we achieve this mindset, and even if we just begin it, we will naturally feel this overjoyed and this optimistic, you know, mindset for the opportunities that we have to fill our missions. And even, even during the difficulties, the Klausenberger Rebbe, it's famously known that he lost his wife and his 11 children in the Holocaust. And he was an unbelievable person. Un- unbelievable. Once in the labor camp, he decided that he's not going to work on Simchas Torah. He says, no, Simchas Torah, I'm not going to work on Simchas Torah. And he decided he's going to stay in his barracks. And when the roll call came, and they saw that the Klauserberger Rebbe, uh, which I don't think was the way that the Nazis identified him, was not present at roll call. So they went to search him, and they saw that he was in his barracks. And as a punishment for, the, for his crime, they, they gathered everybody around, and they made the Rebbe hold on to the bed frame, and they went and they beat him mercilessly. And they beat him till he was a, a bloody heap. 
And, you know, and then they made everybody go back into work and all the people were like, what's going to be with the Rebbe? What's going to be with the rabbi? But we tell me get there, he's not even going to be alive after all that beating. And they came at the end of the day, they came back to the barracks and they see the Klausenberger Rebbe still standing and he's still holding onto the bed frame. But his feet are moving a little bit. And his lips are muttering something. He was very weak. He was beaten nonstop and he was bleeding and gushing and bruises. And someone came over closer and he realized this was Simchas Torah. The Rebbe was dancing and singing with the celebration of Simchas Torah after being beaten by the Nazis. All the people looked and they said, you know what? The Nazis won. They beat, they found the, you know, the Klausenberger Rebbe. They beat him. But really the Klausenberger Rebbe, he won. He wanted, he said, I'm not working on Simchas Torah. I'm going to dance. And he went and he decided he's going to stay home. He's going to stay in the barracks. And he got punished for that. And he could have been, God, why? I'm doing this for you. I want to dance with your Torah. And he could have been, you know what, I'm done with it. But he stood at the barracks. He stood at the bed frame. And the part that he got the most beaten and he says, this is where HaKadosh Baruch this is where you want me to be. This is where I'm going to be. And he danced. And he was there. He barely was able to move, but he was able to move his lips a little bit and he was moving his, his, his feet back and forth. He was dancing HaKadosh Baruch with the Torah that HaKadosh Baruch has given us. When you have love of HaKadosh Baruch when you have Ahavas Hashem, you do things because you want to do it. And when you do it that, no matter how difficult things become or no matter how easy things become, you do it because you want to because it doesn't matter. I'm doing, I'm here. I have called. Yeshli call. I have everything. And this is where I need to be and this is what I need to accomplish and this is I'm going to do it because I want to do it. A level we could only wish and we could also try and always try to achieve. Let's go to the next aspect and that is the Torah. If somebody goes and studies Torah superficially, they go look at the weekly parsha and they learn a little vart and it's enjoy- nice and enjoyable. Or they go and they study the Gemara and they look at the daf and they be like, you know what, this is not really so relevant. I don't know how many times my axe is going to gore another person. You know, like I don't have an axe. And you, you look at things and be like, it's not so relevant. When you learn Torah that way, yeah, you're not going to find joy in it. Chances are, most of the times you're not going to find joy. But if you study the Chumash, you study the Gemara, and you go and you look to find messages. There's so many what you feel is insignificant details that are the secrets of the Torah. Each grammatical nuance, each phraseology that the Torah tells us, there is numerous layers upon layers of messages and lessons that we can learn. And it's for our day-to-day lives. The Panavich Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Shlomo Kahneman, was once on the subway after raising a lot of money for the yeshiva, the yeshiva in Panovich. And he noticed that there was a group of bums, hoodlums, gang members that were up to no good. And they were eyeing this rabbi, this old rabbi, you know, keeps on, you know, glances and he realized, you know, this is going to be a problem. They look at the people on the train, they look back at him, they look, you know, he realizes that it's not going to end well. So he takes out a piece of paper. He goes up to these gang members and he says, excuse me, can you help me find out where, where is this address? I need to get to this address. So the gang members are starting to smile at each other. He says, oh, no problem, old man. He says, you know, why don't you do, you know, we'll do you one better. We'll take you to there. Come off the next stop with us and we'll take you to this, uh, uh, you know, to this destination that you need. And he says, really, you'll do that for me? And they're like, yeah, not a problem. Of course, we'll do that for you. So he says, okay, great. So the next stop, he gets up and he walks up to the door of the subway and he's about to exit. 
But he's like, listen, you guys are going to help me. He says, Bechavot. He says, you guys go go ahead first. So they're smickering. You know, they're, you know, they're going to go out and they're going to you know, get an easy payday. They start uh, walking walking out. And after they all leave, Rav Kahneman, the punishment of Rosh Hashiva, he takes a step out also. And then he's like, he's stuck in his thought for a second, and they're just waiting for the old man, for the rabbi, to, you know, walk with them. And then the doors, he's standing right in front of the doors of the subway. And then there's the ding ding, the sound of the subway. And the doors begin to close. The rabbi quickly takes one step back into the subway, and the doors close right in front of him. And the gang members are sitting right in front of them. They're like, well, uh, wait, and, you know, like the rabbi's like, oh, you know, like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, and, and the train leaves. Later, he told Rav Abba Grusbard, that where where did he get this idea from? That he realized that it was they were, they were going to mug him. They were realized it was they were just waiting for the right opportune time. So where did how did did he preemptively do this? He said he learned it from the Torah in Parshas Vayishlach. Yaakov made peace with Esav, and he offered the the Esav offers says let's travel together, and Yaakov says oh you know like he didn't want to you know company his his wicked brother, but he did he just made peace with him. So he didn't want to upset the the you know the the peace agreement that they just made. So Yaakov says, do me a favor. He says, I have children. I have my flock. You go ahead. And, you know, you, you, you'll take the, you'll, you'll take the lead. So the Pandavich Rav says, Yaakov had never intention of traveling to where Esau was traveling in Seir, but he knew that living in close proximity in Esau would be dangerous, physically and spiritually. So how did he avoid insulting Esau and saying, no, I can't live next to you? He tells him, you go ahead and we'll see what happens. So says the Panavich Rav, I learned from this Pasuk. This Pasuk, what looks like a nice little story, says, no, here's how I learned that a person has to remove themselves. How do you remove yourself from someone who wants to harm them? You pretend that you're going along with them. And you move at a slower pace, just like Yaakov moved at a slower pace, the Panavich Rav moved at a slower pace, and then you'll leave them waiting, uh, you know, waiting for you. There's so many lessons that we can learn. And there's so many secrets in the Torah that we can uncover for our personal lives to make it so much better. You look at yeshiva students who spent hours and days and even weeks upon a sugya, upon a, a section in the Gemara, and they could be working and working and working and working and then come to the wrong conclusion. After weeks of working on it, they could come to the wrong conclusion. But they'll keep on working because they know that there is a true and pro- perfect approach. And they're going to work on it just because, because once they get to that... It's going to be so beautiful because the, the, the more you work on something and the harder it is to achieve it and you finally achieve it, the joy is unbounding. The joy is unprecedented. There was a very cold day, a snowy day in Yerushalayim and Rav David Finkel, he decided that he was going to visit the, Bis- the Briskorov and he's traveling to visit the Briskorov and he sees this figure dancing in front of the Briskorov's house. And he gets closer and he realizes this is none other than Rav Shach. He's dancing out in the snow. So he goes over to Rav Shach and he says, what's going on? Why are you dancing? So he says, you know, the brisk Rav, which I just left also, he says his explanation of the Torah concept filled me with such joy that I want to dance every time I leave his house. But I usually suppress my emotion. Why? Because people are going to look at me like, why is this, you know, rabbi dancing in the snow? Why is that? But I figured now it's a cold day. Now it's a snowy day. No one's going to be outside. Now I'm going to go and dance. And this is the way the Rav Shach did. Rav Shach once said that he doesn't know why people chase after material pleasures. If you just learn what the, you know, what the Briskorov says, you cannot find anything more pleasurable than hearing that Torah. Meaning that when you study Torah to such a level, 
There is an intense love and intense joy that comes out that you start dancing. And the more that you understand, the deeper that you're able to go, the more joy that you feel. And anybody can attest to this that has studied in the depth of the Torah. If you study in depth in science, you don't feel the same joy. You feel happy. Don't get me wrong. You, if you study any, you feel happy once you accomplish something. But the joy, the in, innate happiness is unprecedented to anything other and any other, uh, you know, knowledge base, any other study base that, that you could study with. And this is something very interesting. It explains our Berkowitz that this Torah study is a clear indicator on where you stand in your Ahavas Hashem and your love of God. When your studying stops being a chore and starts being a passion, that's when you know you're on the path of being a Ohev Hashem, a someone who loves God. In Sefer HaMitzvot, the third mitzvah, the Rambam, Maimonides points out that what happens when somebody loves someone they can't contain their excitement. They start telling, they start telling everybody else about this person. Oh, this person is amazing. You know, like, especially you look at someone who's dating somebody who's about to get engaged or just got engaged or just got married and they're infatuated with the person. Oh, my spouse is amazing. It's so unbelievable. And they go on and on about how amazing this person is. The same should be with Avas Hashem. When you love God, you cannot contain your excitement. Look how amazing God is. Look how amazing the Torah is. Look how amazing the world is. Look how amazing God has given me so many things. You cannot contain your excitement. The Rambam, Maimonides, is showing us a yardstick. When we have this feeling towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu, if you see somebody that's not religious and you're just like, how? How? How is that possible? When you have this, this, you know, like if someone's an atheist, you'd be like, it doesn't make any sense. You're bursting. But like, does it? I don't understand. But God... But Hashem has so much that when you cannot contain yourself, that's how you know that you have this love of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You know, we tend to throw words around. Uh, so, yeah, Baruch Hashem is one example. Baruch Hashem, Baruch, everything is Baruch Hashem. How often do we say Baruch Hashem and how often do we mean bless Hashem? Like really thank Hashem. You know, we make a bracha. We thank God for, for everything that He created. Everything that He created was because of, it comes, everything comes from Akadish Barhu's mouth. Everything created was from Akadish Barhu. You know, like, how do we understand, like, a deeper level of this? Something that we shared before that Rabbi Shal Salanta was once traveling and he became very thirsty. So he went into this fancy restaurant and he says, I would like to buy a cup of water. And they serve him a cup of water. And he says, you know, after he finishes uh, the cup of water, he makes a bracha, makes the after blessing and says, okay, how much do I owe you? And they give him a bill and it's a, it's a crazy high bill. He says, for a cup of water, this is what you're charging? And the manager comes over to him and says, listen, it's not just a cup of water. You have the ambience, you have the couch, you have the painting, you have the lighting, you have the air conditioning, you have, the, you have so many things that are going on over here, you're paying for the ambience. And Rabbi Saul Salanter, a true Torah giant, because be able to learn something from every scenario. Rabbi Saul Salanter says, now I understand, everything that Akadish Baruch Hu was created was created because of his mouth. was all from Akadish Baruch Hu. He says, now I understand, when you take a drink of a cup of water, why are we making this amazing bracha? That's such a huge bracha for just a cup of water? And the answer is, says Akadish Baruch because we're not, it says that Rabbi Saul Salanter says, what we're doing to Akadish Baruch we're not just saying thank you for the cup of water. We're saying, 
thank you for the ambiance. Thank you for the house. Thank you for the chirp. Thank you for the ear. Thank you for the sky. Thank you for the trees. We're saying we're, the ambiance is worth so much. Everything HaKadosh Baruch Hu was, was created only from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're telling HaKadosh Baruch Hu, thank you for everything. And now we can understand the aspect that we started off with. The second thing that we started off with, the truth of the matter is, and that is, how is it possible that we could get punished because we didn't serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu out of joy? Rav Simcha Zizel Ziv, the altar of Kelm, explains that people do not do things that they don't uh, uh, enjoy. They need an incentive. Sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's even spiritual, but we do things because we enjoy. A person who views Torah and mitzvos as a goal in itself, as a tremendous goal and a tremendous benefit rather than a burden, will continue learning and will continue performing mitzvos because they see it to an end of itself. But if somebody does Torah and does mitzvos and does everything that they need to do because they have to do it, it's not going to last. If you do things because you have to do it, it's not going to last. In order for it to last, you have to do it because you want to do it. So if you do things out of joy, you're doing it because you want to, and that's what's going to last. If you do things because you have to do it, eventually you're gonna, there's not gonna be a reason, or maybe you'll fall, or maybe you'll go, for what, there's, there's numerous ways of it to fall apart. And that's why a person, each and every single one of us, we have to find our own niche, our own pleasure in doing the mitzvot that we need to. When you're learning, you have to find pleasure in what you're doing. You're listening to this class. Find, I, I guarantee you that, you know, maybe I didn't present it the right way and maybe it's just me. But if you learn the content, forget about the delivery, the person that's delivering the message. But if you learn the content, you will receive joy in what you're listening and what you're hearing. We all have to find joy in what we're doing in our life. It's very important. And sometimes we have to create that. We have to look at it. We have to, we have to bring it upon ourselves. When we're learning Torah, we should learn things that we enjoy. And we should bring also joy to the things that we're learning. We could change our mindset by, by following these steps. We should look at what we have to be grateful to HaKadosh Baruch Because when we realize on how much we have to be grateful for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we're going to do mitzvahs out of joy to happiness. We're like, look at what God wants to give us. Like God wants to give us the best of everything. And what's the best of everything? That's the relationship with the infinite. The relationship with the best. So of course, we want to do it. Because this is for our own benefit. And once we look at nature... We look at the world and we look at the beauty of what HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it will bring us this, this unbound love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And of course, when we look at, unfortunately, the sufferings and difficulties, and we realize this is our, these are ways for us to get close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we'll be able to transform everything that we do to do it out of the want and not out of the have to. We do it out of joy and not because we are required to. You know, one of the best things to give over to your children is the beauty and the pleasure of Torah and mitzvot. That's one of the most important things you can provide to your children. That you do things because you enjoy it, not because you have to do it. And the coming days that we have for the most holiest day of the year, the Yom Kippur, 
and the truth of the matter is, this really goes on to any day of the year. I feel like this is a really important aspect to work on. Let us all work on to bring more joy into what we do for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And really, we're not doing anything for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's really for us. When we're doing the mitzvahs, we do it out of joy. When we're learning Torah, we do it out of joy. Just put that all into it. And of course, when you're doing tshuva, you do tshuva, tshuva out of joy. And what does that mean? That means that you're not happy that you did tshuva, but you do tshuva out of love. Me like, I love you so much and I can't believe this is where I fell. Please forgive me for what I did. I love you so much. Because when you do things out of joy, you do things out of love. When you do things out of love, you do things because you want to and not because you have to. And the bracha that I give each and every single one of us, that in the next coming days and the next coming years, we should work on ourselves and we should be able to achieve serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu because we want to, not because we have to. And with that, we'll open up to questions. Okay. Do you have, first question, do you have to do all four to love HaKadosh Baruch Hu or can you only do one of them? You could definitely do one of them. Each and every single one will bring you love in a different, uh, in, in a different angle. So 100% one of them is, is good. It doesn't need all four of them. All four of them are just four different paths. Strongly recommend to work on all four of them, but you know, it could be a process. Next question. I think when someone denies something, it's because of lack of gratitude and purpose. 100%. I, I agree. There's, there is a lack of gratitude, but there's a lot of other re- underlining reason, but that's definitely a big, big aspect of it. Um, yeah, I like it. Time to change your prescription, 100%. <laughs> when you don't see things clearly, you have to change your prescription. Okay, next one. Uh, I love doing mitzvahs, but with constant challenges in life, I've noticed that the spirit of my avodah Hashem has been more numb. Like I'm not ha- unhappy or angry with him. I still do my mitzvahs. I just feel d- dispirited with a loss of enthusiasm in my avodah Hashem. Does this emotional numbness count as not serving Hashem with happiness? And does this have the power to bring the curses from the Torah in my life? Okay, so of course, no curses on anybody from the Torah, but... Let's try, uh, you know, to, to uncover the, this is, this is a, a, a great question. And I think it's not only for this person that asked it, but rather for every single one of us that many of us do things because, you know, like, okay, we're just in the routine of things. And yes, of course, when you're doing things out of routine, it's generally not out of joy and not out of happiness. But what we're supposed to do, and that is the purpose of this class, is just to give that little reminder, the little shock, where you have to be like, okay, wait a minute. The next time that I do something, whether it's, you know, daven, dress modestly, make a blessing, stop for a second, think a little bit, and bring that little bit of joy. So you're about to drink water, you know, when you're so thirsty and you're fasting and you just have that first drink, oh, you don't realize how good it is to drink. You appreciate it more. When you appreciate it more, then you can have a greater appreciation for the blessing that you're going to make. So all it entails, everything that we just spoke about tonight, it was really just like the, we could, we sum it up in one word, think. Think before you do it. Just just think and, and bring a little bit of, of contemplation into it. Now, of course, we do things and, and things in general is just going to become habitual. So the goal is, and especially before Yom Kippur, to turn that habitual into something that that's not, we're not doing it because of, just because of habit. We're doing it because we love it, because we want to. And from now until then, there are many things that you'll fall and there's many things that you'll succeed. But the goal is try to get as many as you can to do things because you want to, not because you have to. There's another, okay, there's another incredible story with the Klausenberger rabbit where he decides to keep kosher in Auschwitz. 
The Nazis were personally serving soup that was treif. It was Shabbos. He davened and cried to Hashem. All of a sudden, a man appeared with a plate of bread and jam. He never saw the man again. By some miracle, the Rebbe claimed that during his entire his entire time there, he never had had resort to eating treif. That's really unbelievable. That's crazy. Yeah, there's crazy stories with the Klaus and Rebbe. Next question. What are first of all, thank you for that story. Next question. What are steps to take to work on self confidence? So. This is a, a, a very heavy question that I don't think I'll be able to answer it fully in the time that we have. But there is different angles of looking at self-confidence. There is self-confidence in looking at why I'm doing, you know, uh, a mitzvot, Torah mitzvot. There's self-confidence just in the emotional aspect. There's self-confidence. So that was the first one was spiritual. Then there's self-confidence in the emotional. There's also self-confidence in the, in the physical, depending on your physical, uh, you know, you know, Attributes. Let's just call it. So it depends on what angle you need to uh, you need to work on. Um, so everyone has a slightly different answer. We do have. I, I would re- recommend we do have three part series on self esteem, which is closely related to this. So I would recommend uh, will, would recommend that. But based off the class that we have we had today, one aspect that I could say on. To, to grow your self-confidence is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given you the tools that you need to succeed in your life. And a lot of the time that we have a lack of confidence is because we feel like our tools are not sufficient enough. But realize that the tools that you have is the tools that God gave you and this is what you need to succeed. So that should give you the confidence of saying this is what I have and this is what I need to succeed. Okay. Can you use money, meister money to make a brachas party for someone who needs a refuah shalema? In a sense, yes. Um, uh, next question. I'm thankful for this class. I, uh, thank you. I'm looking forward every week. Thank you very, okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> and thank you for making it, uh, the class enjoyable. Uh, we, we try. Uh, but Baruch Hashem, thank you for that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you for all the kind words. How do you get to the level of Ava Hashem? Going through those four things is, is really the class that we spoke about tonight. Really the, 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 the hidden topic is loving God. So how to change something from having to do something to wanting to do something is through loving God. How do you get to loving God is the things that we said, the four things that we said with, you know, contemplating about nature and focusing on the beauty, the, the amazing things that, that God created, uh, looking and focusing on the gratitude in your life, uh, learning Torah and enjoying the Torah and realizing that the suffering comes for your benefit. Question. What are you supposed to do with the feeling of amazement with God? What should you do with that passion and that energy? You should transfer it into just appreciating Hagadish Baruch Hu, appreciating everything that he did. Once you do that, it's, it's, instead of trans, when you transfer something, so if you have energy and you're transferring it, meaning that you're not, you're, you're sort of like moving energy from one area to another area. The focus over here is not just to transfer the amazement of God, but to internalize it. And then everything that you're doing comes with a different flavor because you realize how amazing Akadish Baruch is, how amazing God is. Next question. How do you not feel that the things you are doing are burden and really challenging? For example, giving up social media or watching TV, sometimes it's hard not to have the urge to go back to these things. So 
I never said that it was easy. <laughs> it is difficult. It is challenging. And at times you do miss it and you do want to go back. And that's part of life that we have challenges. We have difficulties and sometimes we pass it. Sometimes we fail in it. Sometimes we wish we, pa- we failed it. Sometimes we wish we passed it. It's all about the fluctuation, the roller coaster of, uh, you know, of, of life. It's, it's very difficult to say that you're not going to have this temptation again. It's all part of being human being. It's just working in that upward trajectory and being able to continuously try to pass the test and you will fail at times but the goal of of how successful you are is not by how many times you fail but how fast you can get back up okay question how do you make sense of those two opposing ideas being happy with what you have and the idea that constantly be growing and not settling being comfortable with where you are great question so um if you're happy with where you are so why would you want to grow why would you want to complicate so the you there's really two angles of looking at it. When you're looking at being happy with what you have, that's in the physical world. You're happy with what what you've got. You don't want to be happy and satisfied. Well, you should be happy. You don't want to feel, you know, like completed with where you reached in the spiritual world because there's always more to accomplish. And the 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 beauty of it is the more that you accomplish spiritually, the more that Akadish Baruch gives you physically. Meaning that once you pass a level, now Akadish Baruch, okay, now you're up to the next level, so you need these tools. Imagine playing a video game. And if you are on the, the first level of video game, so you're given certain amount of, let's say it's a fighting video game. Uh, so you're giving a certain amount of ammunition, a certain certain types of guns. But then when you keep on passing up, you're getting upgraded to greater guns because the war is greater. So I could, when you're upgrading yourself, Akadish Baruch is going to upgrade the tools at your disposal. And that's why the more that you work on yourself, you realize that you have the ability to overcome so many more things that you weren't able to overcome when you were younger, when you were uh, prior to this growth. Okay, I'm answering quick because we have a few more questions we want to get through. Uh, is there a problem wearing red shoes? <laughs> so in the olden days, there is a part, an aspect of, of, of red laces, but an, an aspect of tznias, as long as it doesn't cause attention, it's fine. Uh, what is the difference between meiser and tzedakah? Meiser is a requirement of what you have to give the 10%, or some people give a little bit more, the 20%. Tzedakah is uh, the charity that you give. Technically, meiser and tzedakah can be can co- coexist because from your meiser, you could give tzedakah to charity, but it could also be uh, different in that in that aspect. Okay. Oh, and thank you for posting the three-part series about the self-esteem. Okay, we're finishing up quickly. Um, how do I? Uh, hi, do I make Simchastar happy with? Oh, how do I make Simchastar happy when a dear family member passed away and there feels an emptiness on Yom Tov table? First of all, I am very sorry for your loss. Uh, that uh, you know, may the may the person that passed away may be a melitz yosher for the entire family. And it's not an easy thing to say. How do you be happy during a time when you know of sadness? Um, I would say, you know, it's something that I could say, it's harder to do, the easier to say, is try to focus on something, you know, more on the spiritual side, rather more on the physical side. So to explain that, when someone passes away, we feel a physical lack. When we're dancing for Simchas Torah, it's a spiritual happiness. Not a, you know, obviously it manifests itself in a, in a physical happiness, but it's a spiritual happiness that we're touch, we're, we're focusing on. So you could angle anything into a spiritual happiness that even if a person passes away, you could do things for the neshama. Meaning that you could say, you know what, I'm dancing for the Torah for that neshama, for that person. Meaning that person passed away and it's very difficult. I don't want to dance right now. I, I want to feel sad. I want to feel depressed. I want to wallow in my misery right now because I, you know, this family member passed away. 
And you could say, you know what I'm doing, Hakadosh Baruch I'm putting my feelings on the side. I'm dancing and being happy because of the Torah that you're giving us and let that be an aliyah for the neshama for the person that just passed away. Meaning so you could knock off sort of like two birds with one stone. You're doing something for the deceased and at the same point in time you're, 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 you're being happy for the, uh, for Simchas Torah. Uh, when will this be uploaded, please? Uh, uh, hopefully as soon as possible. I hope by tomorrow, Mir uh, With you know, <laughs> hopefully that the the computer will will have to edit it, whatever it is. You know, the green screen and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, hopefully soon. Okay, Ugh. okay. Let's try to uh, get through these questions. How do you make sense of the? Uh, no. Oh wait, no. Okay, fine. I thought I answered this question, but I guess not. How do you make sense of these two opposing ideas in terms of fulfilling your purpose? Do what you're good at and focus on your weekend. You're fixing in it. So, okay. So the question here is: We, we said that when you when you learn, let's say Torah, you should work, learn something that you enjoy. But how do you do that if you need to focus also the things that you're weak on? So yes, you are. You do need to focus on things that are difficult for you, and you should also focus on things that you enjoy. They're not contradicting. You should be doing both. Meaning that if you find learning uh, musar or learning chumash. Or learning, listening to Torah anytime classes. This is what you enjoy. Then do a lot of that. Does it mean that you shouldn't open up a safer and only do Torah? No, of course you should Torah anytime. Of course you should. You should do both. But focus very heavily on what you enjoy and incorporate that. Also, things that are difficult for you and things that you have to, uh, you know, include. Um, okay, thank you for the great class. Thank you for the great uh, comments. Um, what last question is? What is the best place to give meiser to? So there are different levels of 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 meiser, and I, you know. Uh, it's hard. There's levels. There's many, many things. There's poor people. There's poor people that are learning Torah. There's spreading Torah. There's people, you know, that you know that that work on on bringing Torah to to the unaffiliated. So the, the truth of the matter is, is that it's it's a very good place to give it for people that need it, people that are learning Torah and they can't afford it, or people that are spreading Torah. Those these are those are very very high places to uh, give. Last question that came just came in. Why before Yom Kippur we have to be care only to eat Chalav Yisrael. Why specifically that? It's just one of the things that people take upon themselves to be extra careful. So it could be anything, uh, but just to be extra careful to show that during these 10 days of repentance, we are realizing the importance of the day and we are doing something to change. That is a final question. Thank you all for joining. Uh, Thank you. Well, <laughs> one more. Yes, one more. I, I know I've heard uh, classes about it. Um, do you have classes on uh, the fear of Hashem? On the what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. Classes. Derech Hashem. I did not give any class yet on Derech Hashem. There are classes that exist on the Ramchal's Derech Hashem. It is a difficult safer. So when you listen to these classes, you should be very, very focused and concentrating. There's also an English rendition of the Derech Hashem, which I strongly recommend you to, um, to look at. I believe, I want to say Rabbi Ari Ben Shushan has a, has a series on Derech Hashem. Um, and there is also, I think, on Torah Anytime, Rabbi Mendel Kessin, I believe, has a, has a series on Derech Hashem. So, uh, um, there may be more, but I, I would need to look into it, but I know those two, uh, if I'm, if my memory serves it correctly, I believe they both have something, uh, you know, on it. So, yeah, definitely, Ramchal, Derech Hashem, huge, huge, huge. If you're able to, to learn it, definitely go, go into it. And it's, and it's something that you have to, you know, really, really, you know, delve into it, not just like a, you know, driving and let me listen to it in the background type of thing. You should really concentrate when you do that. All right. I I, I do everything because I love this show and I'm in fear of this large tree outside my house. But the fear of Shem, I just love him so much. It's like, I know he's measure for measure and I got 
whatever I got coming. <laughs> but, you know, they're not, you know, horrific things that would send me to the seventh level. And I've listened to Rabbi uh, Reuben's um, Hell uh, movie he did. And that's pretty scary. He has like 170 references. You got to really buckle up to watch it. Yeah. But, you know, I just. I love them, and I'm doing my best. You can't give war and peace to an eight-year-old and ask them to give you a lecture about it. I mean, there's limitations, but right. you just keep trying. That's that's all that I can ask, that you keep on trying and you keep on doing. And as long as we have breaths in our lungs, we have the ability to accomplish. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. The, the tree, I say, if you're going to fall fall towards Jerusalem which is the <laughs> way of my house and I talk to him every so often, Big Ben I call him fall right. towards Jerusalem and right. it would be lovely it, if the tree by the way is, is rotting and it's like it's dangerous then, then, and it's the branches are falling, you should really look into that um, we, we can't live off, based off miracles but let's talk about that, more of that offline <laughs> that's uh, something for um, for off, for offline, um, but in any case, may the tree, if it does fall, fall the opposite direction, not in your direction, and may no damage cause to you. It's a strong pecan tree, so uh, so if it's strong, you know, I have a, a neighbor that has a bunch of trees like just hanging over over his house, and he was nervous, so he brought this, um, I guess, arborist, uh, this tree specialist. And he says, you know, I'm nervous about, you know, trees falling on my house. And he says, these, you know, trees are stronger than your house. <laughs> he says, you should first worry about your house being blown apart than the trees, uh, you know, being, you know, falling yeah. down. But of course, you know, trees do fall and it is, uh, something that we do have to, uh, you know, care for. But, uh, uh, should help you that the tree should not fall. And if it does fall, it should fall away from your house. Um, but. All right, towards Jerusalem. Towards, yeah. But in any case, yeah, but if it is a dangerous tree and it's it's falling and it's leaning and whatever it is, it's something to look at, but we could we can speak about that more uh, off, massive. offline. Nobody can make it out. Uh, God forbid. Yeah, tree, tree specialists are able to take it apart. Right. Um, yes. Okay. Thank you all for joining. Shalom, everybody. Have an easy fast. Yes. Have an amazing... Book of life. Amen. Uh, fabulous Amen. 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 Thank you, Shira. Yes, to everybody, have an amazing, amazing. May we all be sealed for most amazing year possible. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.